Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Well, it's been a good week since we last talked here on South Sports and Stuff. Haven't had a chance to do a draft recap really until now because of all the Zoom conferences and draft late nights and articles and things like that. And then obviously some other news with the Bills and fifth-year option, which we'll talk about on this as well, Uh, Josh and Tremaine. But wanted to get a draft recap out. Uh, before the end of this week. So here we are going to do that here today and have me just kind of run through each draft pick and tell you what I think about the the pick, the player, how they fit in to the Buffalo Bills. I'm I'm not into draft grading. That's not my thing. I don't, oh, I give it an A, a B, a C. Like if my boss forced me to do an article on it, I would do it, right? But I just, I, I get why people do it. I'm not against it. It's just not for me. It's not my thing. What I like to do though is just kind of evaluate where each guy will fit what his role will be with the team. So that's what we'll do here. And then I'll just offer some opinions on the first round overall. And the fifth-year options were picked up for Josh Allen and Tremaine Edmonds. So that too. So thanks for coming here, South Sports and Stuff. Doing a great job of getting the word out about this. You know, downloads, listening. Really appreciate that. Uh, If you haven't subscribed, please do so. You can do so through iTunes, Spotify, at our Odyssey website, WGR550.com. However you pod, however you listen, I really appreciate it. Of course, all the likes, all the reviews, good reviews <laughs> are, and, uh, review, are always welcome here on the show. And that always helps to get it even more out there, if you will. So follow me on Twitter at Sal Sports for a lot of this stuff that you can see in written form. Sometimes I write an article, I'll do a podcast on it. I'll supplement the article with a podcast, the audio portion, the audio part and the written part kind of go hand in hand a lot of times with each other, but you know, going to spend a little time here to get a little bit more in depth on the draft. So let's do that. The Bills, obviously, they had the 30th overall pick. There was a lot of posturing and reporting. They were going to move up, targeting a running back. I never believed they were going to draft a running back in the first round. I thought maybe they would move up if they really found someone because, as I've said for weeks, it's hard to find someone at pick number 30 that's just going to walk on the field and make an impact. And when you're in a Super Bowl window, and you think you're one or two players away, just a little bit of a need here at a certain position, you're going to be tempted to do that, get that one player. But the Bills stayed pat. They stayed where they were. And at number 30, they're not going to get a guy, again, who's just going to be, oh my gosh, this he's amazing his first year. That can happen. It would be rare. It would be kind of lucky, I guess, and you know, just something that isn't normal and you don't expect. But this draft was kind of surprising in a few ways for me. And it came down to, this is a futures draft for the Bills. That's what this really came down to. This was not a immediate draft for the Bills. Um, they took players that are going to help them beyond 2021. And you could see why when you look at the roster and the players they took and the financials of it all and things like that. So Greg Russo starts it off like this. He's the defensive end out of Miami, 30th overall pick. Greg Russo has lots of traits that the Bills really like with his length and his athleticism, you know, coming off the edge. Um, is he going to suddenly come out and play ahead of Jerry Hughes and Mario Addison and even, I don't know, A.J. Epinesa from last year, maybe. Uh, F.A. Obara, who they just signed. Daryl Johnson. Like, this defensive end group, the minute the pick was made, now even I predicted they would either go defensive end or edge. I thought that would be the case because of Hughes and Addison and their ages, and their ages, 
and they need more of a pass rush presence. But at 30, you get a guy, if they would have moved up and gotten a guy in the top 15 or 20, I could think, okay, maybe he starts right away. I just don't see Rousseau doing that, but I think he has to be a part of the rotation. He has to be a guy that you can fit in there, rotate those guys. There's going to be some major competition at that spot. And then you can also kick him inside where he did a lot of his best work at Miami. But then they back it up with another defensive end with their second round pick. And that of course is Carlos Boogie Basham out of Wake Forest with the 61st overall selection. Now it got surprising for me. First pick wasn't surprising at all. Now I'm like, oh, two defensive ends. But I'll also tell you this. If this draft and all of his comments after on Zoom and radio interviews or whatever that you've heard and read from Brandon Bean, if this draft and then all of his comments do not convince you (laughs) that Brandon Bean truly goes best player available, then I don't know what else is going to convince you. The Bills do not draft for need, especially early in the draft. Yes, they go off the board a little bit later. He admitted that, of course, because now it's a numbers game and you're picking, okay, where are we light? Where are we heavy? Let's, you know, we can move around the board a little bit. You don't still want to don't, you don't want to drop off too far when you're going for need in those spots. But when you get to sixth and seventh round, sure. You like rounds one, especially one and two, and then through five, I'd say. I mean, you're going best player available. And as I always try to point out, People can say, yeah, but they still needed it. You basically always need every position in football because there are so many players, there are so many injuries, there are so many spots, and depth is needed. The only time you might not go with the best player available is if you are completely set at a position, and that's rare. And that's why the Bills, even if they had, I don't know, a Justin Fields or a Trey Lance or whoever, quarterback, ranked super high, they wouldn't draft him because they have Josh Allen. Then you go to the next player available, best player. Yes, did they need an edge rusher? Of course they did. But they obviously had Greg Rousseau ranked highly. And then, of course, the proof is in the pudding with the second-round pick, Carlos Basham, who kind of is the opposite of Greg Rousseau. Rousseau is the taller, longer guy, where Basham, even though he's tall, you know, he's more of the shorter, stockier build for that defensive end, and he also can play inside. That's the thing about these two guys. They can play outside. They can play inside. This morning, I'm recording this here on Thursday, May 6th. This morning on WGR, Dave Clawson, the, I think that's how you say his name, right? The um, Wake Forest head coach. He was on with Dave, with uh, WGR. And I didn't realize Dave Clawson, that's his name. He's the Wake Forest head coach. He's from Buffalo. He's from Newport. And he's in his early 50s. I never realized he was from Western New York. He had a great interview on WGR with Howard and Jeremy. Go listen to it if you get a chance. It's on demand. And he really talked about Carlos Boogie Basham and what he can bring and even said some really insightful things about, you know, the Bills and Sean McDermott calling him before um, before the draft, a few days before the draft. He said that's not really normal that head coaches do that. He really did his research on him. They really liked him, obviously. And he, he talked about how he fits in, the kind of traits he has. And then he said something interesting. He said, because remember, he's in the ACC. He's seen Greg Rousseau. He said, I could see Basham playing the tight end side and Rousseau playing the open side which, you know, if you want to go strong, weak, whatever, I mean, there's different ways over, under, you can term all this stuff. But um, that was interesting to me, too, that he said that, and I don't know how it's going to play out. The Bills can rotate their defensive ends from side to side. Mario Addison, Jerry Hughes. Let's get back to that for a second, because this truly is a statement, I think, too, that A, there's no way Jerry Hughes and Mario Addison are on this team beyond 2021. They're both on expiring contracts. Hughes is 33, Addison's 34. I mean, if Jerry Hughes, especially Hughes, 
if Jerry Hughes had like a monster 12 sack season, I think the Bills would probably find their way to extend him for one more year and say, come on, you want to come back? He wants to come back. But otherwise, I think this is really an indication that we all kind of know what's happening after this year, that they're going to move on from them. Again, anything can happen. That's number one. Number two is I would not be completely and totally shocked if a guy like Mario Addison, if they release him, the Bills can save over $5 million on the salary cap this year. They would take a $4 million salary cap hit, but they could spread it over two years by releasing them um, after June 1st, essentially, or, you know, in which, what it would be. I mean, we're already at May 6th, but I could see that happening at the end of training camp. You let them battle it out in training camp. If Mario Addison gets released, the Bills would save a lot of money on the cap, and then you free up some of that space for, again, Rousseau, Basham, who did I say before? Epinesa, Daryl Johnson, F.A. Obada, Brian Cox Jr., Mike Love. Think about that group. I mean, every single player at that position before these guys got drafted, has NFL experience. It is going to be a battle in training camp. And then even if you talk about them being inside, that's where you have Starlo Tulele, Ed Oliver, Harrison Phillips, Vernon Butler, Justin Zimmer, who the team really liked last year and came on. So I think the defensive line, this was a priority for the Bills to upgrade. And, you know, in free agency, Obadah was a guy that they sign, and then they go out and they draft Russo and Basham. Offensive line, I should say line overall, offensive line, defensive line, clearly a priority. And again, more proof in the pudding that the next two picks, the Bills went with the highest graded guy available. And by the way, Bean, Brandon Bean said that about Basham and one of their next picks, which I'll talk about, which he said they had a deal in place for the 61st pick where they took Carlos Basham. But he told the team, and he didn't say which team, he told the team there was one guy on the board that they had that if he was still there, they would take him. Now, some people said, no, that meant that they really needed the position. No, what I took it as, and I think what Brandon Bean kind of made clear was they had him ranked so highly that they just didn't want to pass on him. They didn't think they would get him, but they had him ranked highly and he's falling and he's falling. They have this deal in place. They tell the other team, well, there's one guy we're watching. If he's still there, we're going to take him. Otherwise, we'll make the trade. That was Basham. He was there. They took him. Same thing happened in the fifth round, but before that, they draft Spencer Brown an offensive tackle in the third round, 93rd pick overall out of Northern Iowa. And this guy is a monster. If you thought that Rousseau at 6'7 was tall, this guy's 6'8, 315, right? Right around there, 315, 310, 320, somewhere in there. Who does it matter at that point anymore? Um, this guy is not only really big, he's not one of these, wow, he's super big and he's not able to kind of do much and he bend or the athleticism. It is there. All of that is on display. Um, through 321, he's listed at on one of the pages here. But uh, again, really big player, but offers athleticism. And what he really offers is something the Bills needed again, which is depth on the offensive line. You know, there was a lot of talk about the Bills maybe going interior offensive line in this draft. I never saw it that way. I thought they needed more on the outside, and it made sense. Think about the interior they have. They have Mitch Morse. They have John Feliciano. These are guys that this is their primary position. Everybody can play o- around the line. But you talk about, like, Mitch Morse, guard center. Cody Ford, guard tackle, yes. But here's the guys that are interior centers or guards as their primary position on the Bills going into the draft. Mitch Morse, John Feliciano, Cody Ford, Jordan Devy, Ike Butker, Jamil Douglas, Forrest Lamp. Seven of them. The only players they had as their tackle is their primary position on the team. Deion Dawkins, Daryl Williams, Ryan Bates, and Bobby Hart. Four. That's it. 
So it made sense. Seven guys versus four guys. Yes, they all have position flexibility. They can move inside, outside. But Spencer Brown now adds to that mix at tackle. And then Bean said afterwards, if something were to happen to Deion Dawkins or Daryl Williams, this guy's got to play. Like, we expect him to be right there to play. I think Spencer Brown kind of represents maybe even an heir apparent to Daryl Williams, depending how that goes over the next few years, because I think they really believe he can play in this league at right tackle. We'll see what he brings. But then they get to the fifth round pick. They don't have a fourth because that was part of the digs trade. Tommy Doyle, another offensive lineman and another really big guy. This one out of Miami of Ohio, 6'8", 326. I mean, this draft for the Bills was just about getting giants, right? So Tommy Doyle comes in and what did Bean say? Here we are in the fifth round. We didn't think we'd draft another offensive lineman, but Tommy Doyle is the highest rated guy. Boom. Now all of a sudden you upgrade again or the the bottom end of your depth chart and you add more pieces. You add more competition, 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 trying to make the 53 man roster. That's what this is all about. Tommy Doyle comes in. He's going to fight for a spot again as a backup tackle. I can see both these guys winning jobs. The bills will keep, you know, well, they have their five starters. They'll probably keep what? nine offensive linemen on the final roster. I have to go back and look at how they did that. But they were always going to add more offensive linemen through either the draft or undrafted free agency because they only had 10 on the roster going into the draft, and they usually bring like 16 to camp. So they picked two offensive linemen out of their first four picks after going two defensive linemen. So D-line, D-line, O-line, O-line, and now we're already in the sixth round. They have not taken even a skill position player yet on offense until they finally do in Marquez Stevenson, Marquez, I think it's Marquez Stevenson, pick number 203, Marquez Stevenson, um, he is out of Houston, he is basically, and it's funny, I've been saying what the Bills need at wide receiver or an offense is Isaiah McKenzie with a turbo button, well, that could very well be what Marquez Stevenson is, Isaiah McKenzie with a turbo button, he's going to compete with Isaiah for the return spot, he's going to compete with Isaiah and other receivers, for a receiver spot, not just him, others as well. There's lots of guys in the depth chart now. And this is going to be a player that when you inject into your offense, when he is on the field, has the ability to take it to the house. He's he's fast. He's like he's shot out of a cannon when he takes off with it. Um, he's a little bit slight. He's not, Now, he's not the giant, right? This is not a big guy. Uh, he's, he's smaller. He's fast. He's a guy that's going to um, compete for the back end of the roster, but I would not be surprised... You know, when it's all said and done, if he's your return man. Now, Isaiah McKenzie has the advantage here. He's the incumbent. He's the guy that's been doing it. Brandon Bean said he's even been working with Matt Hawk, their punter down in Florida, you know, to get ready for the season. He really wants to win that job. And I would predict right now Isaiah McKenzie wins that job, but I would not discount Marquez Stevenson. And again, maybe he's just on the practice squad all year. Maybe he's a guy that, you know, you make the final roster, but he's inactive. It's going to be tough. What do you have at wide receiver? Diggs, Beasley, Davis and Sanders. Those are the locks, right? Stephon Diggs, Cole Beasley, Gabriel Davis, and Emmanuel Sanders. They're all locks. They're going to play. That's four. Then it comes down to, remember last year now, they had six guys, receivers, active for every game, essentially. I think it was every game. But one of them was Andre Roberts, a return man. So really five plus Andre Roberts who could play receiver, but that wasn't his primary role. But what if you just went with five because you have Isaiah McKenzie or Marquez Stevenson, and he can do that dual role, and then you can find another spot around the roster for someone else to take that extra special team spot. I think the Bills would love that. They'd prefer it. But you could still have McKenzie and Stevenson, but you still have Jay Kumaro and Duke Williams and Isaiah Hodgins. Brandon Powell is going to fight for that roster spot. It's going to be hard to make this roster 
Been saying that for weeks. This is not a team that when people say, oh, they need to, they need this, and all these teams got better. It's hard for the Bills to get better. They're very good. They have an AFC championship team, a team that went there to the AFC championship game, and we're 45 minutes away from going to the Super Bowl. It's hard when you're a rookie coming in and trying to do that. All right, so Stevenson, and then they go um, skill, if you will, skill position on the defensive side of the ball for a couple of picks. Damar Hamlin, Pitt, more of a safety. He's a defensive back. He's a safety. He is a guy that um, he can. This was their sixth-round pick, by the way. They had three sixth-round picks because they traded once down out of the fifth round for an extra sixth. Some people said, why would you do that? As I just explained, it's hard to make this team as a rookie. And Brandon Bean said, interestingly enough, and I, I really appreciated this insight, he said, well, it's going to be hard for undrafted free agents to recruit them because they look at our roster and say, why would I sign with you when I can have my choice and go sign with another team that I have a better chance? So if you draft them, they have no choice. They're yours. They have to come to camp, right? Which is really interesting. So Damar Hamlin comes in from Pitt, and he is a guy that can really help in special teams as well. When he was drafted, I think it was Todd McShay said, I guarantee he makes the roster as a special teamer. And that's great. And maybe he does. I just want to caution against this, though, for a second, because let's think about all these guys that are amazing special teamers that the Bills have that are their core special teamers on their roster. He would still have to beat out. Taiwan Jones, who's a gunner. Saran Neal, who's a gunner and a great special teams player. Tyler Medikavich, who they just extended. He's not going anywhere. Um, he's a special teams guy. Andre Smith at linebacker, another special teams guy, core special teams. Jaquan Johnson, who plays his same position. This may come down to Hamlin against Johnson, for all I know. But they did need to improve those safety numbers. They only had four safeties going into the draft. He's the only one they drafted, though. Demar Hamlin out of pit. Then they go with the guy that has the best name. Now, the Bills had a Rousseau's name, Groot. Basham's name is Boogie. Stevenson's name is Speedy. But this guy doesn't have a nickname. It's just his name. Rashad Wild Goose. Great name. Rashad Wild Goose, corner out of Wisconsin. Um, he does not, he is not a guy that I was just going to make a joke or something about a wild goose chase running around. Yeah, that might be the case, but he just wants to hit you. This guy is super physical. He's going to come up. Um, he's going to play. Very hard-nosed football. He can play some inside, some outside. I think that's what the Bills like about him as well. Um, interesting story, backstory from him. Uh, he actually grew up in Florida, but he spent time living in Germany, living in Poland. He went to Wisconsin for college football. Going to be a part of the Buffalo Bills now. Super interesting. Rashad Wild Goose out of Wisconsin was their third sixth-round pick. They add him to the cornerback mix, which includes a competition opposite Tredavious White. Now, I don't expect him to win this job. But he's going to be right there battling for it with Dane Jackson and Levi Wallace. And then obviously have Teran, Teran Johnson as the nickel guy. And Cam Lewis is still there. So there's going to be some good competition at that spot. And then Brandon Bean said uh, on WGR over the last couple of days, you know, they're still shopping. He's still going to be looking. He still will probably add to that corner spot, which he's going to do an undrafted free agency too. I'm not going to talk about a lot of those guys here because it's not official yet, at least since recording this. But one guy they did sign, undrafted free agent, cornerback out of USC, Warren G's son, Elijah Griffin. And if you don't know who Warren G is, that means that I'm old, but he sang the song Regulators. Regulators! Mount up, right? You know that song? That's Warren G. His son signed with the Bills as an undrafted free agent out of USC. And a lot of people give him a chance to, to make the roster. It's going to be tough, though, for a lot of these guys. Like I said, undrafted free agent. If one of those guys came in and made the Bills final 53, 
I mean, that's some work. That's some work that you got to do, and that's pretty impressive considering where this roster stands. But now, Tredavious White, Taron Johnson in the nickel, and you're going to have Levi Wallace, Dane Jackson, and Rashad Wildgoose fighting it out on the outside. I think Cam Lewis is going to be more of the nickel backup to Taron Johnson and fight with him for that job, and you never know. He actually took his starting job for a game last year. Then he got hurt, and Taron came back, and we all know he had a really nice season after that, including the pick six against the Ravens and the Steelers for that matter. And then Saran Neal is also listed as a corner, but as we know, he is actually, um, he is more of a special teams guy. All right. And then finally, the Bills go back to the offensive line, Jack Anderson. Now this is a guy that's really more of a guard, um, but, and he's not as big as the other guys they drafted, but He's still big, 6'5", 315, uh, but he'll get in the mix as an interior guy. We'll see. He's out of Texas Tech. Um, you know, it's going to be an uphill battle for him. And if the practice squad rules remain the same this year, which I think they should with the expanded rosters, and I the elevations you can definitely do still. Like, they, you, that's part of the CBA. But with the expanded practice squad, you know, I would, I would give a lot of these guys a chance to even to still be on you know, the practice squad, even if they don't make the team, you'd have to waive them and then resign them. But that's the case around the league. Teams are going to be in that position, basically. But what's interesting, what's surprising about this draft was how the Bills really went offensive and defensive line early on, how they really didn't add to their skill position ex- uh, offensive players, except for Marquez Stevenson, first pick of the sixth round. So I went back and looked. The last time that happened, the last time the Bills only took one or fewer Skill position offensive player in a draft was 2014 when they drafted Sammy Watkins after trading up with the Browns. And in that draft in 2014, the Bills go wide receiver with their first pick, Sammy Watkins, and then tackle, linebacker, DB, guard, linebacker, offensive line. So O-line, linebacker, DB, O-line, linebacker, O-line. That's been, what, six drafts basically since then? So then you go back, you have to go all the way back to 2010, over a decade ago, where the Bills actually drafted at least five linemen, offensive or defensive. Can you even name them? Could you name the 10? The I'm sorry, the five guys in 2010 they drafted? I'll, I'll kind of give you a hint here. C.J. Spiller was their first draft pick, and then the next guy they took was uh, Terrell Troop. And I think we all know Terrell Troop, why you know that's considered... Um, we all remember that draft, right? Because that was the Rob Gronkowski draft and they wound up taking Terrell Troop with that pick overall. Where was that? Let me look at that for a second. Here's Terrell Troop was, I think, was Gronk taken right after? Yes, he was. Uh, Troop was 41, Gronk was 40. All right, I don't want to depress you anymore. Either way, uh, in that draft, CJ Spiller, Terrell Troop was an off defensive lineman, excuse me. Then Alex Carrington was another defensive lineman. They took Marcus Easley as a wide receiver. Then Ed Wang was an offensive lineman. They took Arthur Motes. Then they took defensive island, d- defensive end Danny Batten, defensive lineman. And then later on, tackle Kyle Callaway. There's the five. Troop, Carrington, Wang, Batten, and Callaway. The last time the Bills took at least five offensive or defensive linemen. All right, real quick. Um, you know, I nailed six out of the first seven. If you listen to my mock draft, I had six out of the first seven picks absolutely correct. The only one I missed was I went with Mac Jones. I was believing the hype at number three instead of Trey Lance, who the San Francisco 49ers selected. So I'm happy about that. But after that, it was a crapshoot, and there were a lot of trades, and I don't do trades in my mock. Um, yeah, a couple surprising picks. I think most of the stuff that happened at the top of the first round was unsurprising um, to me. 
you know, all the things I had heard from league circles and reading and reporting, not that I'm like on the phone with all these GMs or anything. I'm not trying to say it that way, but it was leaning towards Jamar Chase over Panay Sewell at number five. And that was really one of the one where I'm like, eh, I always, I always knew and thought Pitts would go four to Atlanta after Lawrence Wilson and then Lance three to San Fran, which I had Mac Jones, obviously, but Chase was the one. If they went Sewell, it throws everything off. I put Chase in my final mock because I did believe they were going to do that after everything I read and heard. And then that left Jalen Waddle for me. It was between Waddle and Devontae Smith for the Dolphins. And I re- I believe they wanted Waddle to help elevate their their passing game beyond, you know, Tua just throwing it three yards downfield. And then he can play special teams. He can return punts and kicks or whatever, but um, big playability. So those were the guys I, I, those two spots. And then, and then it fell. Sewell was just a no brainer at seven. Once you got to eight, that's when I, everything started going a little haywire for me. The players, I had all the players there. I just didn't have the right order. JC Horn, uh, the corner, Patrick Sertain, another corner, eight and nine, respectively, Carolina and Denver, Devontae Smith, the Philly. I did have a couple other guys nailed right later on. I think I had Elijah Vera Tucker going to the Jets, but I had him later. They traded up and they took him. I think that was the one, I'm pretty sure. And then there was one or the other, um, maybe I think it was, who was it, the Vikings? Yeah, Christian Derisaw. I think I had the Vikings taking Christian Derisaw with their pick as well, but they traded down for it. But either way, you know, a lot of these picks were kind of like, okay, you kind of knew what teams might want and where they might go. But of course, there's always surprises like the Raiders taking Alex Leatherwood uh, with the 17th overall selection. And I think the biggest surprise in the first round really came right before the Bills. Uh, two picks before them at pick number 28, Peyton Turner, a defensive end out of Houston, going to the New Orleans Saints. Green Bay, Eric Stokes, right before the Bills. I thought the Bills could be targeting Greg Newsom. Now, I had the Bills taking Jalen Phillips in my mock. He just didn't last that long. Jalen Phillips went as the first edge rusher off the board to Miami. He stays from Miami in college to Miami in the pros. And, you know, I, I think the Bills, I think, would have really liked that pick if he would, would have fallen. But he went well, a lot earlier than I had him. And as you know, I explained here last week that you never know with a guy like that with the concussions, what teams are thinking, the medical and all that kind of stuff with them. Then I thought they might target Greg Newsom, the corner um, out of Northwestern. He went 26th to Cleveland. The receiver, Bateman, 27th to Baltimore. You know, I had Bateman going to Baltimore in a couple of mocks, and then I changed it. But, you know, always figured he'd be a back-end first-round, early second-round guy. You know, some, some Elijah Moore still there in the second round for the Jets to get him. I like the Jets draft a lot. I like the Dolphins draft a lot. I don't really care for the Patriots. It doesn't matter. Are the Patriots any better today than they were before they selected Mac Jones? I don't think so. He's going to fight with Cam Newton. If he wins that job, that might be more of an indictment on Newton than it is any, you know, extra excitement or elevation of Jones. Maybe, maybe he walks in and he's like, oh my God, he blows everybody away. But, you know, the Patriots did their work in the offseason during the, during free agency, not the draft. And I just don't see Mac Jones moving the needle that much. But I think the, the Dolphins and the Jets got better around their roster they're still not the Bills. They still don't have Josh Allen. They still don't have this AFC championship caliber roster. And, you know, for people to have, I, I think one of the things I noticed after the draft, and I get it, like you get caught in the moment and you look at the draft and you go, oh my God, look what the Jets did. They're so much better. Look at the Dolphins did. They're so much better. Well, yeah, but it's still, they're still rookies. They still have to come in and compete. They're not just going to walk on the field and make these teams incredible. And if that, if that was the case, if these rookies could do it, that means the rest of their roster just isn't that good. It's hard. It's hard as a rookie to come in in the NFL to play. I don't care what team you're on, but especially on a team like the Bills, that it's harder for them to get better during the draft than it is for these other teams. They're already there. Of course those teams are going to get better 
maybe than the Bills will in the draft because they have more opportunity to get better based on their current state of their roster, their record, all of that kind of stuff. And then before I get into the fifth-year option, which actually this ties into it, is I want to talk about the contractual situation of the Bills and looking at their roster because, and this actually does, like I said, tie into um, Tremaine Edmonds and Josh Allen. So Brandon Bean picks up both fifth-year options. I think it was always a no-brainer for Josh. Pick up the fifth-year option. You have to make sure your franchise quarterback does not go into his final year as, you know, a uh, pending free agent with one more year, and then you never know what can happen in a situation like that. That's not going to happen. That didn't happen. Um, They can still sign him to an extension. They can also still sign Tremaine Edmonds to an extension. But that was the question. Could they, you know, afford, and should they even, with who he is and how he's played, to pick up Tremaine Edmonds' fifth-year option? And they did. So now both guys are guaranteed. Josh is guaranteed $23 million in 2022. Not this year. They still have one year left on their rookie deals. And then the following year, Josh is guaranteed 23. Tremaine is guaranteed just shy of 13. That's because they both went to a Pro Bowl. Brandon Bean, Bean made a very good point and said, look, when we drafted these guys, the fifth-year option numbers, they're not, they're not what they are now because there was a new CBA signed which completely changed that. And they didn't anticipate that. They didn't know that. The Bills, in a way, kind of got screwed on that new CBA. Every team did, but they had two first-round picks from the 18 draft that suddenly – because of now Pro Bowls having to count, that which to me is just kind of stupid. Why is what, Pro Bowls and it's a voting thing? Um, good for them though. I mean, they get more money. That it's a it's a tough spot to say like, oh, you, you hate seeing it happen because you want these guys to make their money. But at the same time, the Bills didn't plan on this, and now suddenly they have to budget for a lot more money than they figured simply because the new CBA was signed. And now, obviously, with the pandemic and the salary cap going down, it made it challenging. So. You know, we talked about, and I have, and I've done some podcasts, go back and listen a couple weeks ago, maybe last week, should the Bills pick up Tremaine Edmonds' options. So I don't want to get into all that, whether they should, whether they shouldn't, and all of the, you know, things that went along with it. But they did. So here's what happens now. This is my point to explain. Tremaine Edmonds, Josh Allen, now under contract for one more year. Then in 2022, they're still under contract. Their rookie deals now just are essentially five years instead of four. That's all. They're guaranteed those salaries. However, between now and the first day of the new league year of 2022, um, they can negotiate any other kind of contract they want that could replace that fifth year, that could lower that number or hire it, whatever. You know, if Josh signs a $40 million a year thing in the first year, they're going to try and massage it as much as they can. He could even go up that first year. It might be difficult not to in that situation. But, but if they don't have an extension in place by the first day of the new league year of 2022, like next March, then that money has to be accounted for in the salary cap, the $23 million and the $13 million, respectively, for the two players. But that money can change, and then that's what counts on that first day. But either way, they're still going to be under contract for two more years, at least. And then you wonder, do they sign long-term extensions? When do they sign long-term extensions? We know they're thinking about it and want to do it with Josh. I think they want to do it with Tremaine. I think this is an indication they want to do it with Tremaine. They can try and work with that. And Brandon Bean has talked about it. But you look at their contractual situation on their roster. I tweeted out a um, a graphic. There's some yellow and blue and green showing you when guys' contracts expire. Now, there might be a couple who signed future reserve deals that I have as a two-year deal that might be a one or vice versa, but this should be pretty correct. Here's what stands out. If you look at the roster, contractually, under contract beyond this year, 
beyond this year, at least for two more years. Every single starter at every position except for defensive end. That's it. Now, at corner, we don't know who's starting, So, it, but Dane Jackson's under contract for two more years, so let's say he wins the job. But Levi Wallace isn't. If he wins, okay, that's one. But Tredavious White is. Josh Allen is. Singletary and Moss are. Diggs, Beasley, and Davis are. Dawson Knox is. The entire starting five offensive line. This is all projected. Morris, Dawkins, Williams, Feliciano, Ford. They all are un- under contract. Be- this is all beyond. This is under contract still in 2022. Ed Oliver and Star Latulale, both of them. Edmonds and Milano, both of them. Tredavious White, Hyde and Poyer, both of them. You just have, now, you do have Reed Ferguson, who's not going to be under contract as a long snapper, but your kicker, your punter. But then you have Hughes and Addison, who aren't. And that now gives you more insight into why the Bills probably did what they did and where they drafted. Every other position is accounted for for two years except for defensive end. Now you have Hughes and Addison on expiring contracts. They move out, and you can have this next group come in. Now, things will change between now and then. But I think that's incredible talent retention in this organization by Brandon Bean and Jim Overdorf and Kevin Megank and all those people that do contracts and the personnel people and Joe Shane and Dan Morgan. It's great what they've been able to do to be able to try and keep the band together, so to speak. Because even though the salary cap, think about this. The Bills might have a decision next year, a tough one or two, because they might have to get rid of a guy to account for Allen and Edmonds and their fifth-year options. But basically, with the salary cap not jumping super high, they've kind of already said, all right, we're good. Like, we're good for two more years. We don't have to worry about that. Then when it really does go high, now you still have your core in place, essentially, and you can start adding to that. So I think that's kind of the philosophy they've taken here, the long-term approach, or maybe the mid, mid-year, mid mid-term approach, if you will, to make sure that, you know, they're going to be set for a couple of years. They don't have to worry about these salary cap, you know, shortcomings and shortfalls and situations that have to really just have a bloodbath around the roster, if you will. I don't see that happening with this team over the next couple of years. That's the goal. The goal isn't just to, and the primary goal is to win a Super Bowl. Now, immediately, if you can, ASAP. But the other goal is to keep it going and be a contender for as long as possible. And I think that's what the Bills have done. Again, you look at that roster and the the contractual situations with these guys, and it's, it's really interesting and nice. Now, we'll see who gets added. We'll see who doesn't. And again, things are going to change a little bit you know, over the next, well, several months um, during training camp. A guy gets released or whatever, and then next year. But next year, you look at the UFAs, pending UFAs, unrestricted free agents, that in March of next year, as of right now, these guys, they could just sign with another team. They're no longer, a longer under contract with the Bills, and the Bills don't have an ability to retain rights without exercising some other you know, you know, franchise or transition tag. Remember last year we talked about this, even before the season, and it was Milano, Feliciano, Daryl Williams. No way they can retain them all, and they did. Even before that, it was Milano, Feliciano, Daryl Williams. It was Deion Dawkins, Tredavious White. All five are back. That's what I mean. Think a year ago. Let's just go back and think a year ago. How the hell did Brandon Bean honestly keep? And we didn't even know Daryl Williams was going to have the year he had, right? But he did. How the hell did Brandon Bean keep? Tredavious White, Deion Dawkins, Matt Milano, John Feliciano, and Daryl Williams. Given the pandemic, the salary cap situation, and everything that's going on. I have no idea. 
I think it's amazing that he's done it. Now we sit here and go, oh, there's no way they can keep this guy or that guy. They exercised the fifth-year option on Josh Allen and Tremaine Edmonds. They're both under contract for 2022. You look ahead a year from now, here are the pending UFAs I think that are the big names that matter the most. Jerry Hughes, Mario Addison, uh, Emmanuel Sanders, maybe if you want, one-year deal. I don't even know. Is that Do I want to add that? put that on there? Harrison Phillips, Taron Johnson. I think that's one you have to look out for. Reed Ferguson. Everybody else is basically backups. That's it. So again, Bills have done a nice job in this draft. Did they address needs? Yes, they did. Did they draft for need? Kind of, but they took best player available. And they're not completely set at every position because you never are in the NFL. And the reason they drafted for quote unquote need is because you always need roster depth. You always need competition and you always need to replace players who can move on, which could very well be the case next year and why they went with those top two picks, Greg Rousseau and Carlos Basham, highly rated players, but also guys who now come in here and are the future at defensive end, the Buffalo Bills hope. All right. So thanks for listening. So. We'll try and get another pod out soon. I don't think I'll be able to the rest of this week. This will be the only one for this week, but I'll be on the morning show next week with Howard because Jeremy's going to be off. You know, Jeremy had the twins, so he's going to be taking some time off. I'll be on next week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday on the morning show, and we are going to gear you up for the NFL schedule release on Wednesday night. Wednesday night, that's when it comes out, NFL schedule. I'll try and do a pod before that about the NFL schedule, but Howard and I will be all over it. We'll be talking about it Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday morning, on WGR. Uh, and then I'm gone for a few days. I'm gone, leaving, flying out Thursday morning. I'll be gone Friday as well next week. But after the schedule comes out Wednesday night, I'll join Howard on the phone <laughs> the next day just to talk about the schedule. So we got you covered. NFL schedule talk all week next week. We'll talk more about the draft, undrafted free agents, and all those kinds of things on sales sports and stuff. Thanks for coming aboard. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.